Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity, and it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. And this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am here with yet another conversation episode. And as always, questioning why I sing the title of my podcast. Now, let me just say that there is a a, a few like or a, a little wild coincidence happening in this episode. And that is aside from the fact um, that it was just like seriously fun and genuinely 
hilarious to record. So I spoke with Jerome Ruddick, who's studying his PhD at Newcastle University in the UK, and he told me everything I didn't know that I needed to know about material culture and real-life humans interacting with their mythology during the Hellenistic period of ancient Greece. But specifically in regions in Arcadia, on Crete, and even in the Phoenician city of Tyre, which was ruled by Hellenistic Greeks at the time. We recorded this episode ages ago, actually, like, before I even went to Greece. Probably we recorded it in, like, I want to say March. Maybe it was April. It was a good long time ago. But I had so many episodes recorded at that time that it's just now coming out. And what do you know? We even briefly mentioned how Aphrodite has origins in the Phoenician goddess Astarte. What are the chances? I love it. Uh, And Jerome talks about how she's not alone. The Phoenician hero Melkart also gets major ties to the Greek hero, obviously, Heracles, particular during this period. Absolutely fascinating. Anyway, it was super fun, super fascinating. Jerome was fucking hilarious uh, and called Pausanias Big P multiple times as though that was just like the only thing to call him. Uh, And frankly, it's just become one of my favorite things, you know, so here we are. Conversations, not to have a go at Big P, Pausanias, material culture in the Hellenistic period with Jerome Ruddick. I really was excited about the topic you presented because I obviously know Greek mythology, like the back of my hand, like really know the stories like far too well at this point i think <laughs> you probably know it better than i do to be honest actually i'd imagine you know a lot better than i do <laughs> i i really like i yeah i don't try to hold back on my knowledge at this point it is kind of excessive the stuff that lives in my brain um but one of the things that i don't know that much about is like actual daily like life when it comes to this stuff you know like i know the sources and i know the stories But one of the things that was so exciting about what you kind of proposed is this way of kind of talking about it in relation to the actual humans of that world. So like, why don't you just start by telling me like a little bit about what you study in when it comes to that and kind of, yeah, really anything you want to say, but sort of an introduction on what you what you do. Oh, okay. So, um, so I'm at the moment, I'm studying, um, I'm studying Greek mythology, but I'm studying it in relation to identity and material culture. So it's how, um, it's how the two function with one another and how not only Greek mythology contributes to Greek identity, but how material culture is this like really important factor in allowing these myths to find root in these Greek communities and kind of make them more tangible, more kind of verifiable, you know, like mm, really build them into Greek society. And that's that's really what I'm doing. And I'm looking at three communities as we do so at the moment, um, which we'll expand later. And that's Crete, a place in Arcadia called Lagosura. And the Phoenician and some of the Phoenicians tie on the Levantine coast. Ooh, so a nice okay. little That's very exciting. geographical mix. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I now already have so many questions and you've literally said like two things. But first, I think so because obviously like my show is really for just like any old person who wants to learn Absolutely. about this stuff, which is the best part. But why don't can you just like give a quick uh, explanation about like what material culture entails? Yeah, absolutely. So material culture is 
it's really quite simple, actually. Um, everyone, all the scholars try to make it sound complicated, but it's not. Uh, it's material culture. It's it's cups. It's um it's pots. It's sculpture. Um, it's uh those uh it's like pediments on temples, stuff like that. Everything everything's material culture. A spoon is material culture. So but I think it's like yes. physical, yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Honestly, pretty much. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, cloves could be a type of material culture too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. I, that's the thing. Like I've been learning more and more about that, and thankfully I get guests to come on and talk about that kind of thing. But like, that's the kind of stuff that's so hard to sort of research on your own, which is why I love having these conversations. But like, it does really impact so much about like the actual people like living these lives. Anyway, I'm clearly getting excited already. And I'm uh, so yes, please tell me more about any of those places or any of these things or literally anything. <laughs> well, well, first thing I want to start them actually, you mentioned a point just about how it's hard to research material culture. I agree with that because the first time I started the research into this topic, I ended up reading this really strange book about, um, it was about classical sculpture, but it was from, I think it was from the 1930s or something. And it was a little bit 1930s-ish, you know, they're a little bit, they're very, they really love the Greeks, but not like we love Greeks, like, you know, kind of weird, like colonial type way. It was a bit dodgy. And I was reading yeah. this book going, what am I reading here? This is a bit funky. And I had to throw that aside. Um, So <laughs> that's kind of where you end up. When you start like a material culture, you're like, oh no, sculpture, and you get some weird factors. I, I don't blame you, yeah. uh, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's like, especially the 1930s, like that's the time period where they're like revering them as if they're just like oh, yeah. the absolute most the pinnacle of, of human everything. civilization yeah mm. exactly like that just comes along with so much like <laughs> like the greeks are yeah. amazing but like let's not pretend they're better they're, they're than good. anyone else <laughs> but, yeah they're, they're good but they're like 70 percent good not 100 percent good you yeah, know what exactly. I mean? like, they're good fun um you know middle ground good yeah um, okay, i'm just I'm, I'm just i'm just now i'm slacking off the greeks now and i i love the greeks so i should be doing that um, i mean i do it too and it's okay. my entire career to love them so we can also criticize that's the whole point of like yeah i think it's, it's important it's reason debate uh discussion yeah. um okay um so what was the question now because i've lost it um i mean honestly also i love doing just... this is like just just let your brain go it's fine i have adhd it goes everywhere um me too but yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm ADHD, also like adhd siblings yeah. oh i mean honestly there's a lot of people in classics who have adhd it's it's kind of nice because i don't feel like my brain is gonna throw everybody off um but i'm also like newly on medication and i'm like hmm, we'll see how anything oh. works as i, I, I have uh, questions but... about that but i won't interrupt the podcast of that i, I have <laughs> questions about that because i've been anyway yeah. I, please go no ahead. but I, I i i get all that interest oh my god um but yeah so i mean honestly like I just want to hear anything. So my question was honest, okay. was really just like talk about anything, but I'm, Absolutely. I'm excited about all those regions, but I also don't want to like jump from one or like, I don't, anyway, <laughs> I'm getting okay, too excited. Let's start with them. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let's start with a very brief um, overview. I'll do like a Sura first because it's kind of my favorite at the moment. Uh, it's what I think I know the most about, which is helpful to stop me from pausing and, um, and inerring. Um, so like a Sura. Um, so it's, you know, Arcadia. Um, hopefully everyone's familiar with that because um, there's so many good stories from Arcadia. Mm-hmm. So in, in the region of Arcadia, around sort of about the central area, a little bit closer towards Sparta. Sort of that, it's hard to do it without a map, but um, hopefully people are going to put up their phones and look at that. But there's a town called Lycosura, and it's near this town called Megalopolis, which becomes very important. Because about, um, what is it again? I think it's 368 BC, right? Megalopolis kind of go crazy, and they want to take over everything. They're like, we're going to take over these towns. So they get all the sanctuaries, and either they destroy them or kind of take their sanctuary bits and like collate them into Megalopolis. So then Megalopolis is basically the sort of cosmopolitan hub for all the sanctuaries. But the interesting bit is when we read the ancient sources, um, Lycosura should have been destroyed too, because it's really close to Megalopolis. 
but it isn't. It, it stays alive for some reason. Like its sanctuary is intact, its town's intact. Mm. The Lycosomes are having fun and things are good. Um, <laughs> and they say, uh, Pisanius says in the sources, um, uh, well, he, he's the main one we have sources about for this. He's like, oh yeah, Lycosaurus survived because of, of Despoina, their local goddess, who the Megaloplins mm. are like, oh yeah, they're nice. Oh, sh- we like her. She's cool. And they let and they let them live. So it's really fascinating because suddenly you're like, oh my god, myth saved them. Like, but yeah. the mythology literally saved them from being well destroyed. Um, in in the worst worst case. I also just love the idea that like a place called Megalopolis is like gonna take over everything. Like I feel like with that name, it's like, well, that was bound to happen. (laughs) Well, I think I think to be fair, I think they may have created the name because they're taking over everything. They they, maybe they were like small smallopolis before, (laughs) and then when they started taking over, like I'm gonna change it to Middleopolis, and then become Megalopolis. There you go. Yeah, you just you got to make it work, right? It's like just convince everyone that you're the biggest by calling yourself that. Yeah, no, to be fair, well, you know what they say, like, um, what was it again? Um, uh, fake it till you make it, and apparently they made it eventually. <laughs> yeah. So you know, <laughs> they you got go. there. Yeah. So Despoina is so interesting because I've done like some really base level research on, like, I don't even know if I've researched necessarily her, but the the word is also often used as an epithet, isn't it? Like, it, oh, I it feel is, like yeah. it. Yeah. So it's really interesting. It's like both a goddess and an epithet, so it can be used along with like other goddesses but then like as a physical or not physical obviously but as like an actual technical goddess is she really specific to that area of arcadia oh she is um not offhand i I appreciate like you're very shit hot on your stuff which i should have expected but like you know (laughs) yeah um beautiful Uh, uh so yeah she um yeah she is she's very specific so basically this is interesting despoina is supposed to be we think persephone you know you know persephone goes to springtime and all that hades stuff um so apparently it's another form of her, right? But they call it Despoina. And it's a bit of a mix whether or not that's supposed to be like a sort of cultic, like mysteries, a Lucian mysteries name for her or something else. But it's supposed to translate to the mistress. And Bosanius in his text also goes, we don't know her real name and mm. no one says it. You know, like, so it gets really mysterious and, and kind of and a little bit like, um, I don't know the word I'm looking, I don't know what good word I'm looking for. Kind of sexy, like, ooh, you know, it's really yeah. kind of titillating. Um, <laughs> but um, but no, it is it is a very specific name to Spoiler. She is very, very specific to Arcadia. Um, I think there are some references of her, and I think it's like I'm um, on some of these smaller Greek islands, but it's pretty rare. It's it's not mm-hmm. not universal. No, no, no. She is absolutely like a Syrian goddess, an Arcadian goddess. She's very I specific to the region. Yeah. She's, she's very uh, cool. So, okay. Here's more of my like deeply niche uh, and unspecific knowledge. That's really contradictory regardless. So I, when I was last in, um, in Athens at the archaeological museum, they have this thing there, the they like, do. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about because it's yeah, like, the I, I, only I, thing I have an like, idea, but please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to try to like describe it, but it's basically, it's marble, but it's a like marble rendition of like a piece of clothing and it's incredible yeah. it's like all these folds and like it's unbelievable and it's all about her and like sh- there's so many things on it so is that like you clearly know what i'm talking about obviously because it's amazing but is that something you've studied specifically because i would love to know more about it <laughs> um yes it is something i study specifically also, i fact, forget what it's, it's called it's, oh, good. <laughs> oh no I, I, so it's it's called um despoiner's veil or the veil of yeah. despoiner um and it would have been attached to the back of her i'm miming this but oh, i know no yeah. one can see it so just um <laughs> picture me I mean, um, there's a veil coming out the back of her head and yeah. um this is literally what the main thing i've studied so i can tell you quite a lot about it if you Amazing. want 
please. Because um, also I can share pictures of it when I share the episode because I took somebody, oh, yeah. I forget who it was, but somebody on Twitter, like Classics Twitter, like asked me or just put out a call being like, I need pictures of this. And I was like, I'm going to the Archaeological Museum like tomorrow. I can take them. So I, I took have, like. I have pictures too. Um, oh, to the point yeah. I was there taking pictures of it and the people in the museum were staring at me weirdly because I'd been there for 10 minutes taking pictures. <laughs> and I was like, I looked at them and my, my, my wife came up to me as well and she was like, you need to stop taking pictures because I think they think you're like planting a bomb or something on the veil. So good. Yeah, I took like every single angle. I think I have like 20 pictures of that piece. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You need to because it's it's so intricate. It's really um, it's no, it's cool. Um, okay, I'll yeah. tell I'll tell you about it. Um, okay, I'll tell you the tell you the most interesting thing I think about it. Um, I think the most interesting thing about this, and this is coming from this is not entirely on me. This this is from a scholar called Pl- um, Plamidus, I believe. Um, Plamidus, um, who um, basically did most of the 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 legwork as far as like as far as I can tell about this, but basically it looks like the so the cult group in general the whole cult group of um Despoina, but particularly the veil it looks like it's like collated mythologies from across the arcadian region right mm. so it's stuff like um there's zeus there's poseidon Apeus, um there's um what is there there's there's zoomorphic images so like hu- hybrid figures like you know half human half um animal and it seems to have collected all these arcadian myths all these local arcadian myths and put them on this veil and it's really interesting why they've done that. And I've got some opinions. I'll share that in like a separate bit, but I've got some opinions on why. But um, it's really fascinating. So they use material culture basically to get all these myths and kind of shove them into like a Asura. So like Asura is kind of a, um, a sort of a patron, a holder, a, um, a guardian of all of them, which is, well, I haven't, I think you only really see it at Asclepius, the Asclepion, you know, Asclepius, they're usually like collated loads of mythologies there. But otherwise, don't know if I've seen that happen anywhere else i'm sure there's yeah. someone listening who goes oh there's tons you're a fool you haven't but uh, you know i don't um, i don't there's know too personally. much about ancient greece it's fine <laughs> we can't it's, know everything yeah, it's a big it's a big country uh, yeah. you know and they, they spread out so far that you, you have to look at like half of asia before you can really know exactly. the Greek stuff. So. <laughs> yeah that piece is so incredible too because like i feel I, I mean i'm sure it wasn't necessarily unique in the ancient world but in terms of what survives it's fairly unique in the way that it is so incredibly detailed, like you're saying, featuring all of these different myths and like characters and things and just like one like marble piece of fabric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. They, they've really gone, they've really gone overboard. Um, but one of the most interesting bits about it and um, to give everyone like a visual picture is there's um along the bottom, there's a string of dancing animals, like half human, half animal figures dancing. They think they're dancing in festivals. They're playing like bagpipes. They're not bagpipes, not playing that in Scottish. Um, <laughs> I don't think they, I don't think the Greeks had those. I think we can reliably say they're playing flutes and such. Um, and they're, they're dancing around um, lyres and flutes. And it's, um, it's, it looks like basically it's an image of festival. So it's looking mm. like, like a surah. Or maybe, maybe may have had like a regional, like a festival, a regional festival which they had took place in like a Sura. We don't know as well because the town is basically gone. They haven't found any evidence for it. Like we know mm. it exists because there's some work by a few very talented scholars um, who have who have apparently looked at the rocks or the mountains around and be like, oh, oh I can God. see there was a town there, and I'm looking at it going, I, I, I mean, I consider myself an archaeologist. I, I did. I had to sit in a muddy field and dig for two years, but I'm like, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> see that. But anyway, they they did, and apparently there was a town, and it may have happened in that town, but we can't find the town, so we don't know if it happened. <laughs> um, it does look like a festival happened, based on what yeah. the veil says, because of the dancing animals, which is super cool. There's, a, yeah. there's like some sort of like magic festival going on, which we don't know about. That's yeah. interesting. <sighs> 
I mean, God, like there's just so much stuff like this where you're like, just this thing that like maybe was a thing, but we have no proof of it. But what if it was? And it would Who be knows? super cool if it was. Like it's like half of ancient Greece, and I fucking love it. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's 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 a mystery box. Greece is yeah. a mystery box. There's so much. Well, that's why it's the best. Yeah, I agree. That, that is, I love that, and I love that I could remember that piece so well. But like, ah, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, about you it. know, a, a plus. Like, I mean, I don't want to sound yeah. like you know, but, you know, I mean, like, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, it's, it's funny. Great it's like I'll, like. if I learn a thing once about ancient Greece, it tends to stick in my head forever. The, Nothing oh, that I you. like need on a daily basis, but ancient Greece, yeah, it sticks. That's really lucky though, because I I learn something about Greece ten times and it doesn't stick in my head, <laughs> and then I make a note on it, and then I mean, and then I start. The only reason I remember this stuff is I've been doing it for three years now yeah and even then it took it, it took it took it to the second year for me to really be like oh i can i can recall this at will you know oh, so. so exciting yeah <laughs> yeah so okay is there any other pieces from that area that are i mean i don't know if anything's quite as interesting as that particular piece but like when it comes to that like material culture of that region um not of a veil, but of zoomorphic type images. There is from, um, yeah. oh, my so my Greek really sucks. I'm going to butcher this name. and I don't know Greek me, at all. So. Um, um, Figalia, I think it's it's Phil, Phil, Philgea, Philgea or Figalia, one of those. It's a, it's it's near, it's in the Arcadia again, but it's got, um they call it Black Demeter, and it's because apparently she's supposed to have the head of a goat. Um, <laughs> so very Arcadian, really, because Arcadia is also a place where they were supposed to have made Pan as well, you know, the, the, yeah. the god of the wild. Um, yeah, I, I just learned of Pan from Percy Jackson. That's where I first met him, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, so they so it's very Arcadian. These hybrid figures are super Arcadian. Like, yeah. I mean, you see them other places too. I'm not going to pretend they're completely yeah. unique, but they are. They're pretty Arcadian. You know, it's a real staple of Arcadian mythology to have hybrid figures. Well, and Arcadia is like the whole, I mean, it's like kind of the center of the Peloponnese, right? And then it's just very mm. wild and like, I feel like it's the place, right? It's also one of the places yeah. where Atalanta was like raised by yes, bears yeah. in the mythology like it's just one of those places that it doesn't surprise me that it would be sort of the most heavily associated with animals mm-hmm. and wildlife and all of that stuff i mean zeus was also supposed to be raised in mount lycian but of course the cretans would have something to say about that because they'll be like and like um, a handful of no. <laughs> yeah yeah no, yeah no yeah exactly and everyone else everyone else who's claimed that zeus was born in their house somewhere they're like no zeus was born here he's our patron god so, you know, yeah there's like five mountains that say that that's where zeus was raised and i, I love mean, that. to be fair maybe maybe zeus was just a very big child and he he covered all these mountains yeah i don't know he just went or, or everywhere. bits of him or he, i don't yeah. know he's all clean <laughs> or maybe zeus had like four twin brothers and then like you know well, not twins at that point four identical brothers then maybe he ate them all like Kronos I don't know who knows I mean, I mean you know we can have a, uh, yeah it's probably more just the Greeks the Greeks being the Greeks which frankly I mean, is we yeah. like this we're gonna take it and put it in our culture it's like yeah. does that make sense doesn't have to we don't no. care you know like enter Heracles who went literally everywhere and did things in every different city because everyone wanted a piece of him yeah and I, I will literally and he had so many yeah. kids because all the women exactly. wanted to, all the women and men wanted a piece of him so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just had to be everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. I will say I will say a last bit about Arcadia. Mm. Um and this is this is me basically plugging the research that I'm doing and what I think mm. is interesting. Um so I think my pet theory, I think some others share bits and pieces of this, but I think I think this is relatively unique to me, as much as it can be, and stuff like this, where everyone's done it, everything. Um mm-hmm. so basically it's the idea that this Lycosera cult group basically was created by this there's two interpretations. One, it was created by Megalopolis. Uh, that's the boring one. I don't like that. I, I like the one that like Sarah <laughs> created it because it's, it's more um, plucky underdog style. 
it's the idea that Megalopolis is basically taking over all these communities and they let Lycosura stay alive. Great. But it seems that Lycosura may have commissioned this artist called Damathon to come along um, about, when, when is it again? I think it's um 198 BC or like a, it was a 250. It's, it's about, it's about like second to first century. He comes along, right? And he builds this statue for them. And I'm thinking they used it to try and retain like, autonomies in their identity so they're like okay mm. we're still alive that's great if we collect all these mythologies you know we collect these mythologies from all the regional place not only could we increase our own status but we could also give ourselves like a new fresh powerful identity to combat the kind of the pull of megalopolis the controlling influence of megalopolis and it's mm-hmm. kind of how they established autonomy in the region by taking the statue you know you collecting all the myths in the material culture so using it to Using it basically as like a sort of mini Bible almost, mm-hmm. you know, to like have all these plate these myths in one place. And then I'm capitalizing on that to to basically stay alive against Megalopolis, which is I think is a fascinating if it's if it is true, which we would never know unless a new source comes out with some guy going into we created the statue because we wanted to, <laughs> which won't ever happen. But um I don't Could know if, you if it is true. I I imagine every day. I imagine right? that I'm the one who finds it, so I yes. get to take credit. <laughs> um, but um it's, it's fascinating. It's this really great idea based this plucky underdog trying to survive against the lure of this really powerful city. And they're using mythology to do it. That's how yeah. they get their significant power identity. It's how they survive. And that's, that's fucking cool. Is yeah. what I think. Well, and okay. So I also, I really don't have a good grasp on Greek history after the classical period because I've that's just fine. focused all of my interest on archaic and classical. But it's interesting to me that all of this was happening so late too. Because, I don't know, I always just imagine the Hellenistic period as, like, just all these kind of big powers across the whole of the Greek world taking control versus having this idea of, like, a city in Arcadia trying to take control of, like, the rest of Arcadia. But I don't know anything what was happening in the Peloponnese at that time. But is it, like, somewhat unique? Or, like, what was the deal there? Um, You know, it's not really unique, actually, because as when we go into Crete, you're about to hear exactly the same sort of story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, it's... No, basically, Alexander the Great dies, obviously, and then everyone goes goes insane trying to take over his empire. Because <laughs> yeah. why can't we all just be friends and be like, you can take that bit and you can take that bit? Oh, well. But, you know, so you get all these these Hellenistic kings that pop up instead because Alexander's given them the model for, oh, kingship, that's a good idea. Well, that's a good idea for one person, not for most people. And then um, it basically you get expanded cities all over the place. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's more complicated than that. And I can't remember off the top of my head. And some Hellenistic expert on this is going to come along and say I'm an idiot. But <laughs> yeah, loads of kings, loads of expansion. Basically, it's like the Greek world. It's like um, it's like in like a completed. It's like in a glass and like thrown on the ground. It shatters. It's all like the Greek world. It just goes into pieces mm. and everyone starts fighting for themselves. So this idea of Megalopolis taking over and then a city trying to, in my interpretation anyway, trying to rebel against it is um is isn't actually atypical for this period really. You know what I mean? I, I can't think of exact yeah. examples, but no, this you probably get to see more of it if you did if you did your research. Yeah, yeah. I've only I've had people on to talk about Hellenistic period, or maybe just one, but it was more so about like the the kingdoms in the east and everything too. So oh, I just right, realized yeah. I have like no grasp on what was actually happening on like the Greek mainland during the Hellenistic period, which is kind of sad. But I just, I mean, I like the classical. But then I get people on to talk it, about Hellenistic, and then that's interesting too. <laughs> hey, that's fine. I mean, to be honest, before I I started down this avenue, I like the classical too as well. And then I was um, I remember I got told, don't do the classical. Everyone does it. Do the yeah. Hellenistic. So I was like, I was like, oh, okay, fine, I'll do the Hellenistic. And I was like, wait a second, this is really interesting. Yeah. Why, why is no one doing this? Yeah. <laughs>
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Yeah, I mean, classical is very sort of like quintessential. It's like what you think of when you imagine yeah, it's ancient. It's the classical. Days. It's the classic period of Greece. Exactly. Quite <laughs> Funny classic. <enough>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I love learning more about it. And I was like, Arcadia too kind of just like goes under the radar, you know? It does. Especially yeah. like when you like the classical period because it's just sort of mm-hmm. there. But I did learn, I mean, when I was covering Sparta recently, it was interesting to learn how much Arcadia kind of really kept itself sort of 
separate from the whole mythology of the rest of the Peloponnese who were all like, yes. you know, we're Dorians, whereas the Arcadians were like, no, we are Arcadian. Like we have been here mm -hmm. since, is it like they say they've been there since like before the moon or something cool like that? They do. Well, they do. Pisanias says like, like a sir is the oldest city in existence, which Amazing. I mean, you know, <laughs> probably not to have a go at big P, but it's probably <laughs> not true. Like the oldest city of all time. I, you know, yeah. I, probably not but the, actually there is archaeological evidence that they were around since the prehistoric times wow so, cool really so actually yeah. he probably wasn't entirely wrong they were probably really old yeah. older cities maybe a little yeah. bit of a stretch um, but he got excited but... you know you know him he just gets excited he goes yeah. around writes all this stuff down i like the idea of a guy from like first century is it around that first century ce being yeah, like yeah, yeah i first, know yeah, what's yeah, the yeah. oldest yeah. Like they've been around yeah. two thousand years, so they're the oldest city ever. Like, uh, yeah, okay. no, I, well, I, I imagine. See, I was, I was, whenever I picture Persanius, I always imagine he goes around. He's talking to the locals, and he has some old guys like, "Oh, actually, oldest shit he ever." And he's like, "Oh, really?" And writes it down diligently, yeah. and it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, but come on, man, that guy's drunk, Persanius. You can't trust him." <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Also, like, dude, there can only be one if you're saying it's actually the oldest. Whereas yeah, I, I can imagine him being like, these guys say they're the oldest and these guys say they're the oldest. And just like, who's, going who's correct? And he's yeah. like, I don't care. I'm just going to write both of them down as the oldest. <laughs> exactly. Um, I also do have to focus on you calling him Big P. So thank you for yeah, bestowing sorry. that <laughs> upon me. <laughs> I, I, I had to, to be fair, because I've, I've realized the more and more work I do in this, the more I realize I'm completely reliant on Persenia. So I'm going, you know what? You know, you could you could do all the scholarly. Oh, well, we can't. He's not blah blah reliable. But now, nah, you know what? He gives us a lot of good stuff. So you know, yes, yeah, big P. He does. He deserves his nickname. You he know, absolutely good. does. I did not know nearly enough about him. I swear, I've only really been like learning about him for the past less than a year because I just happen to have had a bunch of guests on like unintentionally who are just super <laughs> into Pausanias, and now I'm just kind of obsessed <laughs> with him broadly. But I recently learned and i think it'll be fine and it'll air before this episode i'm just thinking about my timeline but like i recently learned that we didn't even know his name until like so many hundreds of years later and like like that's fascinating he just kind of is this enigma nice. but turns out he's so helpful no i know that is that is amazing and to be honest yeah. with you I'm, I'm i won't lie i'm not going to pretend i know everything i don't know as much about Pisanias as i should so i'm going to rely on what the other people and you know so yes, I'm sure we did. I didn't. I didn't actually know we didn't know his name. Actually, yeah, I, I'm, was... I'm very much. I looked at his work and not his history. But wow, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. I know. I had no idea. So yeah, I had a guest on to talk about like Greece during the Roman period, and so he kind of went more into detail on on Pausanias uh, yeah. and like, mm. yeah, it's really wild how much he sort of was like not <laughs> a helpful source or not like utilized mm. as a source until like mm. maybe only like 300 years ago and just sort of was super unknown and then we come along and we're like wait this is actually so helpful because like turns out this guy just walked around asked questions and wrote them down and how fucking cool is that yeah well i to be fair i need to um i, I need to say one thing about romans um they're jolly yeah. come late i believe is is what so I, i've got <laughs> yeah. um, my, my supervisor that's why he called him he said he he muttered to himself like, jolly come late rotten jolly. <laughs> so i i always remembered that so that was quite funny um but um Pisanius, um, I always imagine, like, when I think about these old scholars, uh, you know, uh, writers, historians, um, I always, I love the idea that Pisanius may have been dodging around doing this thing and everyone's like, we don't care, Pisanius, who gives a crap, you know, whatever. And then, and then us later are like, he is a godsend because he's like the only one who survives. He's the only work we've got. So we're like, he's amazing. Whereas obviously I don't know if there was like a geographical community and everyone was like spitting on his work. 
Oh, Basanius. He said that city was the oldest one and that one was, and he has no idea what he's talking about. And there's like some great guy called like Derek the Greek. And he's got like a really beautiful, like really well-researched piece of work, but obviously we've lost it. So we've just got like crappy Basanius. You know what I mean? And then I'm not to have a go at Big P, but you know what I mean? Like, I just, I just think it's funny that he may, he may literally be the, we don't know, but he may be the dregs of, you know, ancient historians, but he's the only one we've got. So we're like, he is amazing, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the case with so many cool sources like that, where it's like, we really, we don't necessarily know the deal, but it's no. like, what, he's what we've got, so we've got to love him. Like, Pausanias is so interesting, and I just love him, but I do think what you're saying about like him maybe being, I don't even know, like, I'm trying to remember the dreg- what this guest told me. The dregs of historian society. Yeah, but there was like something where he was kind of seen like that, I think, for like a really long time. What? I'm trying to remember what this guest oh told goodness. me. But okay. yeah, whereas, I don't know this. I would love to know this because this would just be hilarious to me. Like, yeah, the episode will come out fairly soon, I think, or in a little while. I don't know. But like, great, I will listen. Yeah, it, Dan Stewart is the one who told me this, and it's like this okay. the Roman period um, episode that'll be coming out. But it was just, yeah, it was really fascinating hearing kind of about what Pausanias was sort of viewed as or how he was understood in the ancient world, which is that I think he got like very little respect or appreciation oh, in the poor, ancient poor world Bissanius. i oh, know and, and like meanwhile yeah we come in and it's like no it's actually incredibly helpful to have somebody who went around and like described the things he saw because they're gone now yeah, yeah it's so amazing yeah. i know I, I do wonder like without getting us two of topics i don't want to go away for greeks but like i do wonder about if our entire society was eviscerated by a nuke tomorrow and we all died we kind of got greekified where you you know you find stragglers in the ground and you're like oh my god this was um i do wonder what would survive enough to give people an idea of the world like you know i don't know if big ben got destroyed and people are like there was once a big tower and they're like what you, you know what i mean i wonder who yeah. would be where they would get that evidence from nowadays you know if well and we have such weird things and there's so much like time period in between that yeah like you just kind of find any and everything or like find a museum yeah. and then be extra confused or i don't know yeah it's interesting it to think about <laughs> it is um yeah. crete Yes. Uh, not, I want not, sorry, not to, I not love to, Crete. I'm, no, no, I was just going to do the same thing. Along. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, okay, Crete. Um, yeah. Tell me about Crete. <laughs> Tell you about Crete. Okay, I, I will start you with Crete and then I will wait for questions. Questions help focus me, so I will start you with another yeah. view. Um, Crete in the Hellenistic period. Oh, God, this is interesting. Um, This is... I, I, I sound really unthe- unenthusiastic when I said that. It, it is interesting. <laughs> um, It's not, oh, Crete in the Hellenistic. So interesting. Um, No, it is good. Okay, so basically a lot of scholars um, and other people really interested with, with Crete in the Minoan period, um, mm-hmm. which I don't give two flying rats. <laughs> there was, um, I, I mean, don't really it's like It's pretty it. cool back then, but fine. <laughs> it, it is, no, no, it is cool. But like, you know, it's also like, oh, well, I don't know if everyone does it. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, that's no, it's, So Crete during the Hellenistic period, it's interesting because we don't have a lot of information about it. I mean, we do, but we kind of, like with all these things, we do, but we don't. Um, yeah. But the interesting thing is Crete is kind of, Crete's built in an aristocratic society, uh, much more than other places in Greece are. They're a bit, they're kind of like the, um, oh no, I was going to use, I was going to use a bad stereotype. I'm not going to use that. Um, they're sort of like the black sheep of the Greek world. Mm. Um, you know, in that um, they're different. Um, and pl- there's a scholar called Polybius, a historian rather called Polybius, who says they're all, um, what's he say? Rape, rapists and murderers. Um, okay. Which, which, <laughs> By the way, isn't true, as you probably yeah. could have guessed. It's not an entire <laughs> island full of rapists and murderers. Um, but Polybius didn't really like them. But I think it's because they killed his dad or something at some point. So he had a bit of a chip in his shoulder. If was I'm he Athenian? Correctly. Um, Polybius. Oh, my God. Polybius was... He was from Megalopolis. Oh, 
well, yes, he was. Okay. Yeah, good old Megalopolis coming back. I around. always think of the Athenians for stuff like that. You know, especially. No, I because... don't. I don't blame you. Um, they yeah. usually are, frankly. But he wasn't. He was Megalopolis. Interesting. Yeah, like especially when it comes to Crete, I always think about that because I'm kind of obsessed with the idea of like the whole Theseus and Minotaur just being oh, yeah, that's complete good. Athenian propaganda, which it like basically was. But I really like just want to understand it better as Athenian propaganda because it's like I'm sure the Minoans weren't going around being like, so you know, every year we sacrificed all of these people to this monster we kept downstairs like well i mean well i mean you say that but um <laughs> first f- first of all i i'm sorry i have to take issue with the fact you called it a, a minotaur and not a minotaur i know that's, that's an because i am across. i know i know British. i'm sorry however however okay no, you brought it up so now i have to make okay, this argument fine. because I've, okay here we I've, go here we go i've had this argument with my friend who is also not british but she lived there long enough that she says minotaur and it drives me bonkers because mm-hmm. the ancient greek did not really have a hard eye sound so if one of them is going to be more accurate it's minotaur linguistics time um okay fine i will i will i will concede to feet because um i i I don't think anyone wants to listen to us argue for 15 minutes over a freaking minotaur minotaur um but i i had to say it because it's one of my it's one of my i was i was noticing people say it it's very british to say minotaur (laughs) um okay um moving on for that no um you you said again the cretans would not be um kind of being like woohoo we slaughter loads of people woohoo we come to Crete lovely um, <laughs> the thing is though on all their coinage well deeply into the Hellenistic period too as well they have images of the labyrinth and on, on their or Colossus mm-hmm. does anyway so they clearly were being like yes we had we had the labyrinth we had the Minotaur so yeah but I don't like I, mean, I think that they <laughs> it's a bit it's dodgy like, they kind of it, it is it, it's really questionable but I also think it's more so that it was like that was really indicative of their whole culture versus the Theseus part of, you mm. know, well, they were sacrificing. Like, I don't think indeed, that indeed. they were necessarily necessarily talking about how evil the Minotaur was. They were just like, we mm-hmm. have this labyrinth and we're cool. and We've got bulls everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes a half bull man, it's fine. It's sometimes a half bull man. Yeah, that's a yeah, sometimes. Yeah, you know. Um, just normal. casually. Just yeah. worried about. Well, actually, uh, so I've got I got stuff I can say about Athens as well and about their propaganda. Um, oh, uh, with with the idea of like you know oh god there's there's so much to say um uh, okay um very quickly um you you're probably right about that to be fair that they, they focus they they focus really just on the labyrinth as far as I can tell and you're right they're not really focused much on the grisly sacrifices of death because that's yeah it's not really um I mean you know the Greeks where the kids their myth didn't really always practice the morals we did uh you know because you know yeah. Zeus going around <laughs> impregnating everything uh, much of that being rape um was not something we would stand by but the Greeks were like woohoo go this Zeus is great. It's fine. Uh, yeah, this is great um so obviously things are a little bit different but um but no you're probably right about that but i will i, okay, I should focus on crete but i will say one quick thing about mm-hmm. theseus i read a really interesting article by a person called turner i cannot remember her first name which is terrible but um she um she wrote basically about how theseus is both the son of aegeus the king of attica and poseidon god of the sea mm-hmm. but the story is like they, they basically the athenians blur it so you never really know who his actual dad is because that yeah. way they can they could be like no we've claimed to attica because we're descended from theseus and aegeus but no 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 we could also control the sea because beside and they just they just let this exist on like a oh yeah blurry thing and every time you've probably got someone being like so which one is it they're like oh both kind know. of it's fine they had sex with it's a both. woman on the same night so it's both that's it yeah you just <laughs> yeah. You, you know i mean you know when you're pregnant a woman if you do it quickly both of them yeah. combine into one everyone knows that genetics god yeah genetics god <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, actually, I mean, we all talk about a god in one of these places, so maybe his genetics can literally, maybe his yeah. sperm can latch onto a geosis and make a super kid. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> the, the guy controls the ocean. I mean, you know, <laughs> could have happened. Um, you know what? Wow, I think I've just cracked the case of how these can coexist. 
So yeah, I mean, sperm gods. It's... That's the next. That's the next <laughs> paper coming out. I mean, um, that okay, sounds like so Poseidon. Crete, um, yeah. Okay, Poseidon. Yeah. Um, okay, Crete. I, I would talk about Crete. Um, okay, so basically, Crete is a bit of a hot mess during the Hellenistic, and all the cities are expanding. Um, you've heard that story before, Megalopolis. Well, it's the same mm-hmm. on Crete. Um, there's one city called Hierapitna, um, which is. Oh, let me see. How do I describe this um, without having a visual reference? It's um. So you've got Crete. You've got the middle of Crete. It's like sort of. It's sort of off the middle of Crete towards the east, but like um, okay. southeast, very southeast. But not, you know, when the island kind of like thins out and then gets like a bulbous end so much. Mm-hmm. It's not there. It's kind of the bit before that. It's the best okay. way to describe it. Uh, this I like help how when people just look at Google. I mean, I also, I have, I know the shape of the island of Crete so well that I knew exactly what you're talking about. Oh my goodness. Like, I just I... like think says too much about how much I stare about the map of Greece. Uh, but yeah, I get it. I'm Good. Oh, I'm really happy. Really happy I can actually <laughs> describe that fully. Um, so yeah, all these cities are expanding like crazy. But at the same time as this, it's really fascinating. So basically, Crete is also. So I think Crete's a hot mess. It is for multiple reasons because cities are expanding everywhere. But also, um, mercenaries are basically Crete's kind of like it needs money, right? And mm-hmm. because of its society, apparently an event happens. We don't know what it is, but it's called the event of the Hellenistic period. It could be an earthquake or some sort of um, famine of some kind. Uh, hmm. I'm not really sure. But something happened and it meant that there wasn't basically loads of jobs. Um, God, this sounds like 21st century Britain. But there wasn't lots of jobs <laughs> on the island. <laughs> um, and as such, Cretans had to move and emigrate. And one of the key things they got a lot of money for and a lot of good reputation for were mercenaries to help the new Hellenistic collection of kings fight wars and take land. So hmm. Crete exports lots of its men as mercenaries off the island. And they get lots of money and these people go flying across the Mediterranean, these Cretans. And that's like, it's like their, that's like their thing. That's how they make mm-hmm. money by selling soldiers, not selling, they are uh, hiring, renting soldiers because they're mercenaries. Yeah. Um, but it's fascinating because these mercenaries go off and then they come back, they, they encounter new mythological stories and then they come back with these mythological stories and they tell them to Crete, like, hey, did you know? So the best one is in Itanos um, on the very east of Crete, like sort of near the north bit of it. They come back with Egyptian stories. They're like, hey, did you know ISIS? Woohoo! And all the other creatures are like, what the hell are you talking about? But yeah, that's, and so these mercenaries bring these new myths yeah. to Crete. And then these new towns get like hybridized, like Egyptian, Cretan, Greeky myths, hmm. myths, which is just um really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Traveling myths. I, okay, I, I have to bring this up because I just okay. have to. Have you played the game Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Yes, I have played that game. Yes, I didn't finish it though because I got burnt out. I couldn't even I couldn't explore the Greek islands. Like, stop yeah, so it! You I'm doing it. A cool. Don't cut this from the from the podcast. <laughs> Ubisoft, go back to making games like Assassin's Creed Two, Assassin's Creed One. Please don't give me another Odyssey. I say Odyssey, that as a lover of Greece. Odyssey is so good. Oh my god! So did you not get to Crete? Because everything you I, just described sounds Crete. like. But okay, that's exactly how Crete is in the game. Like it's all about it's, mercenaries, and I just it love is that. yeah. Anyway, it's that's fair, all I can not, think about. No, I mean you're not. I mean not wrong. Uh, to be fair, get full, before we go off, full credit to Ubisoft. To be fair, they did do their research. To be honest, like a lot of the stuff is pretty, like you know, pretty pretty accurate. I, I, actually, to be fair, I especially for a video game. game. So many times, yeah. It's, it's really nice. Bad. It's it's really good virtual tourism. <laughs> I, I will give it that. Like I, I'm not going to be a. It's amazing virtual tourism. I just, I'm just a bit annoyed. I'm a very old school. I just like Assassin's Creed One. That's <laughs> fair. Is, it's the <laughs> it's the only video game I've ever played outside of N64 um so oh, i God. am incredibly oh, so much <laughs> i know i've heard so this much. i'll try more eventually but until then i just keep playing assassin's creed odyssey it's really bad fair, uh fair but enough. anyway yeah mercenaries i love that that's really mm-hmm. interesting like so did they have 
did they really like jump in on Egyptian specifically and have a lot of this kind of like hybridization that that remained? So this is this, this is the really interesting thing about it. Um, basically, you you have these Cretans come along in certain areas like Atanos. These Greek, these Egyptian and Greek myths kind of converge and and do loads of weird hybridy stuff. But but this doesn't seem to be the case for the rest of the island. So it seems to be quite contained. So it seems mm. either you had Egyptian, eventually Roman or Greek, you know, traveling Greek um, uh, mercenaries. And they kind of practice their own religions on bits of Crete. You know, they didn't, they didn't mm. seem to have fully like penetrated the island and gone deeper into it. And I think there's multiple reasons for that. One of the most obvious ones being maybe you've got certain mercenaries living in these areas, like foreign mercenaries living in this area. So of course they practice <clears throat> their religions in those areas but one of the theories i'm attached to is the reason these myths couldn't penetrate right these kind of new identities couldn't penetrate the island is because this this goes into so i'm gonna have to pivot for a second but only because i need to i need to explain this to then explain that love uh, tangents you, don't worry have you have you ever like come across um lamps on has anyone talked about like gr- greek lamps before not Greek. I know about all the Roman penis lamps is really the only thing that comes to my mind if you talk about lamps, which is sad, but um, where my knowledge lies. <laughs> okay. Um, not penis lamps, though. My God, that sounds interesting. Um, I must have missed that episode. They've that got wings. Really good. They got wings. I don't, it's not even an episode. Penis I just, wings? Oh my yeah, God. They're all over Pompeii. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, oh, I know. Oh, and I know the penises yeah. of Pompeii. I just didn't realize yeah. they had wings. Wow, oh, Pompeii. Yeah, innovator. Um, so yeah. anyway, um, so lamps, but no, they're not. They're not. They're not penis lamps. Sadly, um, they're they're kind of like normal looking lamps. Um, but they've got loads of different holes. Some of them have got loads of different holes all over them, right? Hmm. Which means that if you should put a light into them, the light goes in loads of funky different ways. You know, it's, yeah. it's a bit weird. Um, and what? And long story short, this could basically be different ways of practicing ritual. So, um, they had different people had different ways of describing, imagining, or understanding these lights and what they meant. Like, um. Oh, there's loads of different lights because that goes to Demeter, goddess of the light, and there was a version of her on Crete. Um, mm. By the way, they loads of different versions. So you know, obviously, these rituals were attended to these gods and goddesses. But the main thing I want to build off of that is if you and I, for example, say say we're both Egyptians, right? And we come along to Crete, and we're like, yeah, we're going to spread some Egyptian religion. Woo! We go to the first town away from Atanas when we walk out, and we go to this this sanctuary. And we're like, great. We walk in, and you see these people with this this lamp, like coming and stuff and having this like this weird these lights going everywhere you would probably look at that and be like what the fuck is going on like mm-hmm. what is that lamp what are they doing with it what does it mean you'd have no idea would you unless someone took the time to come up to you and be like okay so this is the lamp we do it to worship demeter in a special light form oh you haven't heard of a light form well that's local to this area um and these and all these little lights are symbolizing all the different paths she takes throughout her life and you're like what you wouldn't know that unless you're told it yeah. And I think that may be one of the reasons these foreign identities and myths do not penetrate the island because you come up with your myth and they kind of rebuff you. They're like, you don't understand it. You can't engage with the topic. You can't adapt your, like, you know, your like Egyptian myth to the local Cretan myths because you don't know the myth. You don't understand it. So you can't, you can't be like, oh, okay, I get that that's about, you know, uh, to be sure the light. Oh, we have a god like that and they do this. And I, maybe they're the same thing. They both visited that, you know, you adapt the myth then that way you build like a collective identity. Yeah. I think they could do that because they had no idea what was going on. And the, Cre- the Cretans kind of pushed them away deliberately because of it. You know, they, they yeah. made sure to gatekeep, 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 basically, which, yeah, which the Cretans would, I definitely think they would have done because they were yeah. quite, they were quite, they weren't an insular people. That's wrong. Because there's loads of trade to be found. So I'm not trying to say that, but they yeah. were quite conservative in their customs. It, it makes sense. They wouldn't be like, you know, hello, come on, welcome, you know, 
welcome yeah. everybody and their, and their mum to, to Crete. So yeah, um, yeah. So it's basically you see this idea of myths. So I, I don't want to talk about like myths, mythical stories. I did say myth works, but yeah, these myths can't really penetrate his island because the mm-hmm. people carrying the myths do not understand what's going on, so they can't yeah. attach the myths. Yeah. Or so. One. Okay, now I want to know more, though, about this Demeter of, like, the light. Is there more you can say about her, or is she just totally um, baffling? Because that would make sense. Sadly, <laughs> sad. I'm, I'm really annoyed, actually, that I can't tell you much more about her, because um, I... And I, that's really disappointing. Um, You have to cut this out like an idiot. Um, but you have to... Um, yeah, I can't tell you much more about her, because I... I've, basically have not done my research on her yet no that's um, fair actually you know I mean, i've tried yeah. i've tried as well i got really interested just like you um yeah and i and the books were i think they're buried in german or something and i was like oh goodness gracious me so oh well but it's, yeah, it's a no. story for another day uh, but, i mean that's but, why yeah, i phrased it's... it like that because it sounds like one where it'd be really difficult because i've never even heard of yeah. her so it can't be something that you can easily learn more it's about weird. oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's weird um it's very weird um but she yeah but she is a certain she is i think she's called like demeter lightbringer she's like she sounds oh kind of like a that. yeah she sounds like a kind of like um don't know some sort of like metal band player lightbringer yeah uh, sounds like a biblical figure um i i love it and i don't know much more about it sadly. no that's and fair I, sounds cool it's, it does sound cool doesn't it <laughs> yeah um yeah it sounds really cool um Okay, I've got other stuff I can tell you about Crete as well. Yeah, I'm just because I, I went off on foreign mercenaries randomly for the wrong reason, but so they you've got the foreign mercenaries, and I I said here a pit near another city are expanding at this point. Well, you've also got okay, um, so you've got here a pit near, So let's take here a pit near as a good example. They're expanding, and as such, they're taking over other communities. So you know, like a getaway, and, and one of the things they they do do is they control the myth and religion of these towns. So there's evidence of them having destroyed cults around towns and mm. at this place called Aleros they actually like put up their rules on the sanctuary temple which you know is a big that's like a big not a no-no but that's a big ooh they're making a message here because if you know on the, yeah. the big sanctuary which which is communal and everyone goes to and is kind of authorized by the god of the area they've put their rules on it it's kind of showing the gods are authorizing their rules like you know they're really cementing their opinions and their like you know things onto poor Aleris. So mm-hmm. basically, we know. Sorry, we we don't know. Is maybe too strong. It suggested that um these these smaller communities are losing their autonomy. You know, they're losing their identities, their myths, their autonomies. They're all being stripped away from them. That sucks. So you know mm-hmm. what they do instead to retain autonomy is they fall back in this thing called pastoral mythologies. Um, and yeah, they're they're really cool. Um, so I just I get really excited. So pastoral mythologies are like pan nymphs and um you know uh wood dryads all that type of stuff you know mm-hmm. like landscape type gods and goddesses the thing you um, think of for arcadia yeah. not necessarily yeah. crete yeah yeah no ex- exactly but massively on crete um mm-hmm. they, they it looks like they start to fall back on these and we see so much one thing there's a, there's a goddess called dictenia i believe i'm saying it correctly she's a goddess of nets have you heard of her before no but the idea of a goddess of nets makes me so happy no She's okay cool. yeah a goddess of nets like yeah. fishing nets mostly or like fishing nets fish because it's an island so fishing yeah. so they need to dictate of the fishing god the fishing net oh goddess god. anyway but during the hellenistic me. period she starts as goddess of nets and then she transforms throughout the hellenistic period into like a goddess of the hunt like artemis she takes really? artemis image like a bone and arrow and hunting dogs and the reason that may have happened is because the Cretans are transforming her into something they need, which is a pastoral goddess, mm-hmm. someone who's connected to the landscape. So that's really fascinating. So you yeah. see myth changing in real time, really rapidly too, like yeah. over over like a hundred years or so. That's rapid. 
Well, and Crete has got to be one of the few islands that can kind of get away with such pastoral myths too because it's so much bigger than all the other ones like i feel like the rest don't have that kind of landscape that would sort of lend itself like obviously they're big enough but crete is so enormous it is yeah absolutely and it's so bloody rocky and mountainous when i I went to crete um i tried to drive up a hill and the car broke down and i had to splutter the car up i think it took me 40 minutes to go up this hill on the spluttering car Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
Yeah, Crete is wild. The Cretan landscape, like, I, I will never get over it. I don't think I, like, love anything more. I went there a couple of years ago with some friends, and we rented a convertible and drove down to um, Peliopolis, which is, is that what it's called? Yeah, there's so many that are, like... Mm-hmm. Anyway, but it's um it's one like really old and it's like you have to drive all the way through the mountains and then there's this beach that you have to drive through like literally not a road, just like this rocky kind of landscape directly next to the water. Yeah. We were like, How are we in this car? This is not a good idea. We're gonna destroy this thing. Like this is awful. It no, was, absolutely. Oh my god, but Cre- yeah, Cretan landscape is wild like it's just unlike anything else. I'm obsessed with it. So thank you for bringing it up. So basically you've got all these so you've got these goddesses turned into pastoral into pastoral gods right and goddesses right mm-hmm. so they're transforming in kind of shape we have some lovely material culture one of them is a is a clay um a clay mold relief of pan's face like you put on pot so clearly mm-hmm. they're making lots of these because they've got a they've got a mold for it that they just can stamp and fill and you stamp and fill yeah. um so apparently people are loving the pastoral myths they're loving the pan you know this is real yeah. good at this point um so the question of course um, you may be thinking, or you may not, but I'm thinking, um, is why? Like, why did they start loving pastoral myths so much? Because there's definitely an increase in it. Yeah. Um, oh, and something else as well, in the Greek anthology, all the Cretan names, well, not all them, some of the Cretan names seem to have bucolic origins. They've got like little bucolic kind of um, entomologies, um, origins. Yeah. It's it's really weird. The Cretans, the Cretans love the landscape. They love pastoralism in this period. Yeah, um, I mean, I can see it. I'm like, I, now I can just picture Cretan's landscape and I'm just, yeah. I'm yeah, p- please, p- picture the sun and the rolling so hills good. and the hidden police officers. Picture all of it. It's fantastic, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's it's really good. Um, so you have to ask yourself why. So why why are they why do they care so much about pastoralism now? Um, and there's there's mm-hmm. multiple reasons. Could be multiple reasons. Um, three of them that I've identified. One, the event. I guess it's like the event. This this ominous <laughs> thing I do not know about, and no one seems to know. Not even um um. I always say his name wrong. Um. Haniotis, um, he's he's a Greek scholar, and he don't think he knows. And he's like the super foremost expert, as far as I can tell, on all this stuff. So you know, even he's like, oh, I don't really know actually. And you speculate, yeah. so. so we don't know what it is, unless I'm someone's going to send me an article tomorrow, and I'll, I'll find out that I'm wrong. But anyway, um, the event. Um, so it could yeah. be an earthquake or a famine, but mainly it probably it's probably spurred them to practice stuff like transhumance and so the movement of cattle and stuff like that. Um, more frequently because they needed to for, for food and survival resources that that type of thing so mm-hmm. that may have been why because you know if animal husbandry and such becomes so important to the society more important than it ever was before you know mythology is going to reflect that because they're going to be worshipping pastoral gods to make sure the cattle survive you know please pan mm-hmm. don't kill them you know type of thing so you know it makes sense why they may be moving towards this and why tenia may be becoming like a huntress who looks after their cattle or, or helps them to hunt and you know you can sort of see why these myths transform to match what the societies need at the time because mm-hmm. um, that that makes sense the other one the one i like most i've always got my own pet theory the one i like and it always comes back to being a plucky underdog which is there may be a problem much i need to maybe move away from that because everything <laughs> ends up everything ends up being rocky the movie basically but um <laughs> greek um so you've got you had here a pit and taken over these communities right i like to think that they're so their gods are stripped off them like you're done you get get rid of them so they're like crap how are we going to have an identity how are we going to have myths that we can believe in and attach ourselves to and you know bond with and collate around and blah 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 um mm-hmm. I'm thinking they were like, okay, you know what? They can't take the mountain. 
they can't take the mountains and they can change who's in the caves but they can't take the rivers and the landscapes so i think they manufacture well they've already manufactured but they start to put more emphasis on these pastoral myths because that's something these cities can't take away from them they're so general they're so mixed they're so everyone believes in them that mm-hmm. if you attach yourself to them that's not going to be ripped from you or taken from you likely and therefore you can create that and you can kind of create an identity around that myth you know mm-hmm. you, that can become your new sense of definition your new sense of self and i think that's why they start to one of the reasons it's probably all of them simultaneously but that may be one of the reasons these myths become more popular because they're now their new way of expressing their own sense of identity and their own autonomy irregardless of the massive evil city which is taking them over and um you know kind of forced their hero opinion for example you know views upon them so, mm-hmm. yeah. um so yes that's lovely. really interesting yeah I love the net goddess becoming a hunt goddess. That's so interesting and weird. And I just, I'll never get over that there's a net goddess. Um, so thank you. I'm literally going to text my <laughs> this really, immediately. This really got you, didn't it? To be fair, this really yeah. got you. I was, I was going over it. It's like, oh, they got, and they did this for identity. You're like, but net but, goddess? No, I mean, like, the identity, fascinating, generally, but still can't get over the net goddess. I love yeah, yeah. learning about such specific and bizarre yeah i mean they just had gods and goddesses for everything and i never think about nets that's just a new one i don't know why it's it's really holding on to me um yeah i absolutely love that and i also am really fascinated by tear so i want to make sure that we talk about tear um yeah is there more about crete though like i don't want to cut you off on crete Um, no that's 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 all i got my holsters um i I mean you know i i I could i could go on french but we're not going to i i've I've said my piece you you know about how they use myth now to try and survive maybe yeah well and it is interesting that like the pastoral stuff does seem like the the one yeah they think that they can't take away because it's like it's also like not only is it clearly tied to the landscape and everything so necessarily Mm -hmm. but it is also like broader right like you're saying like i mean and even just the way you can connect it to arcadia it's like it's a very sort of broadly greek um concept Mm -hmm. and and these stories so they feel a bit more yeah harder to to wrench away yeah absolutely Uh, well i think that's one of them anyway or it could have been the the larger cities using it to help connect them with the smaller communities but eh, who knows we don't know so anyway there you go speculation Um, it's fun speculation interpretation um oh well yes um Tire. Tear. 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 See, you're probably right. It's probably tear, and I call it tire, and I don't know what it is. I've said tire for so long now, and no one's corrected me. I have to assume that I mean, someone would have taken pity on me by now. It honestly, it's like, any of these pronunciations, though, like, they're always going to be based in accent and English and all these different things. Like, you know, it's, tear, it is what tire. it is. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch between and confuse everybody. So, Great. you know, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm going to have trouble not saying tear, but. So we'll just, no, no, we'll, so we're talking about the city in Phoenicia, people. That's what matters. Yes, we are. It's <laughs> it's spelt, it's literally spelt tire, like if you put a tire on your car. It's spelt like Yeah, that. but that's only Look the British up. way of spelling tire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> so the Phoenicians, they're interesting. They're fun. Lots of people, mm-hmm. um, obviously not you or your listeners, I'm sure, but um, other people uh, confuse them for Greeks many times. You know, they get a bit mm. messed up. But they're not. Uh, their name was um, oh. Phonic or Phonix um, or Phoenix, even, but the mm-hmm. Greeks called them, which I thought was really cool. If they were actually called Phoenix, that's such a cool name to name some people. Well, they have a like they have a prince named Phoenix. So the background on this uh, oh. in, is that I have a really deep and longstanding and like longer than anything else of my love of Greek mythology obsession with Cadmus. Um, oh, which right. therefore yeah, yeah. lends itself to an obsession with 
Phoenicia. And like, I really don't know enough about actual historical Phoenicia or even like mythology beyond the very Greek Cadmus, but I am completely obsessed with Cadmus. And his brother is named Phoenix, which is yes. Greek mythology, but based in Phoenicia and where we get a lot of this stuff. And it's oh, just man, that's so cool. I, I I love Cadmus. I think he's, I yeah. think he's, um, he was a real G. He was very cool. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I don't think he even. I don't think he even did any. I don't think he even did anything that dodgy. If I'm trying to remember my Cadmus. Yes, history. thank you. That's language. why I love him. He didn't even do anything he, that dodgy. Nope. Which is a real pretty feat chill. For, exactly. For a Greek Phoenician hero. Yeah. Very, yep. very good. I also my little and I will let you talk about Hellenistic tier, but like no, please the, uh, my obsession with Cadmus is that I think that there absolutely has to be a missing like epic or story that explained more about him because mm. he is incredibly unique mm. one yeah he's a hero who did not really assault anybody um he <laughs> maybe that's why he did get epic because the greeks didn't yeah. really they were like oh pff, there's what? there's no rape he didn't rape anyone oh, screw him he's God, boring yeah he's boring no but he's like he's that he's phoenician but also like they clearly they make him greek they have him bring the phoenician alphabet mm. to greece to explain how Totes, the greek alphabet yeah. came to be they have him marry a literal goddess and then she is also supremely <laughs> unique marry it up Married like, above your station, truly, right? Truly, she's the only hero. He's the only hero marries a goddess, and not only is she just she's not just like any old goddess. She's literally just the daughter of Aphrodite and Ares, like two Olympians, yeah. and she doesn't do any goddess things. She just lives with Cadmus forever, and then they have like this incredibly <laughs> famous dynasty of children. Mm. And yeah, I I just think there has to be more there because we have so little sourcing on them, but like they're objectively sound, no, I, I, so cool. I would agree, yeah. I would agree. And to be fair, you look at the Felician coinage, they're really pushing forward the story of Europa and all the stuff that leads to yeah. um, quite significantly. So I, I would agree with you. They're, they're, they're so I would funny. actually, you know what? I would almost be willing to very certainly say there must have been something pretty big, but we've just, it's just been lost. Because, yep. yeah, it's way too cool. Um, But imagine yeah. how pretty those children were of Cadmus and Aphrodite, like Aphrodite descended kids or, or daughter. You, you know what I mean? Like that. They must have been some good looking kids. Just yeah. Thinking, like, you know. When like she, kids. she, they're all just so unique. Well, and then also their kids are like you know people like Semele, who then goes on to be, become the mother of Dionysus. Like they're just all wild. Oh, yeah. That whole family. Like we talk about oh, them forever. God, yeah. I will try not to. No, that's fine. No, that's, they're, that's they're really they're really goddamn cool. Um, they're so okay. cool. They're really cool. No, they're really cool. Yeah. Um, okay, I would I would, I would talk about um Tyre. I would try to um Great. I was trying. I I feel like I've been a bit too story, so I'll try to keep it a bit more mythy. Um, I mean, so... it's all interesting. Don't worry. <laughs> Okay, good. Um, okay, so let me think. Okay, so long story short, uh, Alexander dies. You have the Diadochi Wars, um, and you have Ptolemy and um, Seleucid. Anyway, long story short, basically, it seems that like they take turns, basically making Tyre a tear their punching bag. The poor city, like I, so, yeah. I read from this. This one's gonna look Granger says it's almost like they had an out for tear tire because, like, it gets so beaten up in the Diadoshi Wars, and it keeps trying to be like, "No, we'll defend and rebel against you," and they're like, "Nah, come back here, loser!" And they just like punch it again. It's like I'm just like, please leave it alone. It's like that. Um, that's was it that Simpsons meme with the stop it. It's already dead. It's like that for tear tire. Like, please stop it. The city's already been raised multiple times. Oh. Um, so I feel bad. I know. Oh, like, it's well. And you think about that and then the fact that they, like, Carthage was a Phoenician, like, from, like, a um, colony from originally Tyr. And then what happened to them? Like, my God, these poor Phoenician people. I know, it's not, it's not going, it's not going well for them. Um, And and honestly, looking at modern day too, it's still not going well for them. Well, that's colonialism, though. That city, that city in a past life must have done something to piss someone off, because... 
Yeah. Poor thing. Um, I mean, so anyway, tear tire. Um, so it, it gets beaten up. Um, and there are some that say like its cultural heritage gets eviscerated. I don't. Mm. I think that's a bit too strong. I don't, I don't think it gets eviscerated, but it probably got all their records are destroyed in multiple attacks in the city, stuff like that. I can believe yeah. that you know they their identity and that their sense of self was a little bit, and their myths were a little bit like frazzled after that. I can certainly <laughs> believe that after being beaten up so many times. Um, but then basically you get this really interesting mix between Melkart and Heraclitus, and that's, that's I'm going to talk about the myth bit. So first thing, um, loads of people think that, do you know, actually I should probably explain who these people, I mean, everyone knows Heraclitus, so I'm going to assume that that, that, that bloody loser is everywhere, everyone knows him, but Melkart, um, <laughs> yeah. Melkart's basically, he's a local, he seems to be a relatively local god to um, Tyr Tyre. And um, I think Sedon as well. I think he's around the Phoenician area, but we'll focus mm. on him there. So his name's called Bao, um, like king of the city. Um, and he's also involved in like some sort of ritual burning, where it's like a sort of reawakening thing, which ties him to Heracles, because Heracles was also burnt when he died. Right. Um, yeah. I didn't even think about so that. Yeah. You start to see the links already. Um, yeah. So the two, Melkart and Heracles, are really quite well linked. Um, it does seem... There's one person who says that Melkart, starts off as Melkart in Phoenicia, moved to Greece way back in the day, like 10th century, 11th century, way back in the day. And the Greeks kind of liked him, turned into Heracles, and then he migrated back to Phoenicia. Like Heracles mm. being like, you, you know, they kind of been, basically Heracles did create Melkart, maybe Melkart who created Heracles. But yeah. of all these things, we don't the really Greeks know. The Greeks wouldn't have a reason though to like make not, it that opposite. That, like yeah. But like, again, I mean, pretty yeah. sketchy anyway. We're not really too sure. Yeah. But also like, I mean, a lot of the, especially like in Phoenician, that whole area, obviously all of the East, like really influenced so many different Greek deities and yeah. stuff too, right? Which is just sort Absolutely. of, yeah, the way they just kind of went back and forth and then changed the stories to make it seem like maybe, oh, maybe actually the Greeks influenced them. You're like, nah, it's probably they influenced mm, you. No, it's like, definitely, because I think Aphrodite is an Indo-European goddess, isn't she, at least at the, the well, stage she's like, to Greece, so, you know. Yeah, she's really connected to the Phoenician goddess Astarte. Yeah. And so yeah. you've got, yeah, like yeah. all these different kind of back and forth gods and heroes and i mean heracles is so unique too because like almost everyone can claim kind of like their own version absolutely. of heracles yeah, absolutely and, like, oh, yeah. no absolutely um so it's, it's really fascinating um but basically you've got so you've got tired a bit of a straight and you have to realize as well before uh before they got beaten up in the hellenistic period um they did people already had wreck had caught a nod to this link between melkart and heracles the fact they were quite similar they kind of yeah. held similar things they used to call the greeks used to call so Herodotus, for example calls um uh melkart the tyrian or uh tyrian tyrian whatever uh heracles um so mm. they're already kind of thinking of it as like another form of heracles um which yeah. they've, they've represented in a greek way i don't know if maybe the the tyrians presented heracles as you know melkart as heracles to the greeks maybe to help them understand or they just went oh that looks similar you know yeah, he's heracles because you know the Greeks being Greeks, you wander along with a little book, and you're like, yeah, yeah, it looks like him, and they just make it up. Um, I don't know, yeah. but but this links already exist between the two of them. But as we move into the Hellenistic period, you kind of get, I mean, it kind of gets enhanced because the Greeks start not not taking over, but like um, the links between Phoenicia and Greece start to become a bit more like marked. You know, they they get a bit of hybridity. Their cultures kind of cross culturally entangling. You know, they're, they're really mm-hmm. they're merging into. Not one either. So I'm, I'm saying all the wrong things. Um, they just very they get more connected in the Hellenistic period. So this this link between Heracles and Melkart does become even more important than it already was. Um, yeah. And it apparently it's, it's from this process because I'm about to refute this. I don't like this, but I need to say it. Um, it's called Hellenization, which I don't like. Oh yeah. It's very it's very colonial. And it implies basically the very. Greeks came along and, and Hellenized <laughs> um the Levant the Levantines the and um, the Phoenicians 
That obviously isn't true, but I, but I have to admit it's, it's an interesting way to start the conversation because it does frame what's happening to a degree in the fact that, you know, they were they were meeting each other. It's just, it's far more of a give and take situation. The Phoenicians yeah, like got something, the Greeks melding. got something, you know. Yeah, exactly. A, a nice yeah. a hybrid, a nice bit of hybrid melding, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, it looks like basically, so they come along, right? And Heracles and Tyre, Heracles and Melkart rather, they kind of get mixed into one. That's the interesting bit. So you start to see hybrid images of Melkart where he's wearing like the lion skin. Hmm. It's really interesting. There's one image of him where it looks like he's got like a, like a lion cap because like a, like a sort of Phoenician or Thurian cap, not like a skin. Right. So yeah. you see all these really interesting morphed versions of the myths um, as they try to kind of reconcile the two different gods together and make them into like one. And that's, um, and it's really interesting. So you get this lovely bit of mythical hybridity happening in time yeah. um, as the, the two of them connect up, basically, which is just fascinating. It's really good. I love that. Yeah. That's the one thing I really remember about, like, so I had on Eduardo Garcia Molina, um, who studies mm. the Hellenistic period. And so, and we talked about all of that. And like, that was where we kind of, it was mostly in the East. And so it's interesting to hear you talking about it this way, because that's the thing that really like came across so strongly to me is that they didn't like they didn't go in and like they did colonize it obviously to an extent but like they didn't go in and just like force they didn't do it like north america did Mm -hmm. you know which is like completely force you know uh the like british way of life onto an indigenous people and Mm. completely decimate their indigeneity like instead they went in and they were like you've got these temples to your gods we're gonna like toss in some greek stuff Mm. and kind of squish it all together and sort of make something new yeah but also yeah not not take away what is already part of the culture which is really interesting and sort of just like i guess just generally refreshing given the rest of like most colonization certainly modern colonization is like yeah I, it's kind of nice <laughs> you're like oh you didn't completely take away everything they had before cool of you yeah no i know i know i i agree it's I, I was really, when I read this, I was really quite refreshed. I was like, oh, that's, well, that's a difference, isn't it? Not coming our in and saying that. Our bar is so low. <laughs> I know, I know, our bar is so low. As long as they don't come in and say your culture's shit and then try to change everything. You're like, oh my God, they're true patrons, champions of equality. Um, yeah, so no, they, they don't. I, I think it's because, I think it's because you get Greek settlers who like trickle into tier tire. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep just double barreling it the entire time. Tier tire, they, they come in like, you get all of them, you get like a, a steady stream of Greek settlers. You know what I mean? That's why you got this Macedonian garrison, but you got the Tyrian mm. kings and it's all a bit of a mess. It's kind of because the city was already a bit of a hodgepodge already, really, by the Hellenistic yeah. period. That I think that's why this kind of, um, this hybrid mythology start to come about like more gently and less, you know, extremely. The, the colonization with the capital C. I think that's why, really, because it was just more of a gentle, slow process. Um, well, yeah, it probably there was... helps the gods are so mixed. So related yeah. to one another. They are, especially across the whole Mediterranean, except the like, Egyptians who, you know, put animals on everything. But like, yeah, yeah it's so why, easy to be fair, to see. I think I would as well, actually, if I was making I mean, yeah, I love honest. the Egyptian gods. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like, it is, yeah, it's so easy to kind of see your own god in the local gods in the East. Absolutely. But yeah. also, yeah, like you're saying, like, there was so much like immigration too. Like, really, they just, the whole ancient Mediterranean was pretty mixed up. And kind oh, of yeah. just like everyone all over the place. So then, yeah, by mm-hmm. the time the people come in and they're like, well, we're actually ruling you now. But like, yeah, we've, you know, our people have kind of been here before. It's not brand new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's just, um, it's just, it's just pretty fascinating. It's, it's just pretty fascinating. Yeah. I, I love the, um, I, lo- I love the hybridity about it. 
Can you tell me, like, do you know anything about, you mentioned Europa being utilized by them a lot. Do you know oh, yeah. much about that? Because I'm just curious. I didn't realize that they kind of took her on in that way. I wonder, I didn't, I realized I never kind of connected who, who necessarily invented her, if anyone kind of claimed inventing mm-hmm. her. Absolutely. Um, well, you know what, actually, the, my general idea of Europa and, and going to that ties into going past the Hellenistic, where you go towards the Roman period. I think it's the mm. second century AD, I think it is. I'm not a Romanist, so this is going to come, this is going to sound really frazzly, but I, I know this bit, so I'm just going to keep within my wheelhouse the bits I understand. Um, so it's really fascinating because basically you've got, so you've got Roman em- em- Empire, got Roman Empire, great start already. Uh, you've got Roman Empire, and then you've got. <laughs> Rome um, doesn't matter, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, no one cares about the Rome. Jolly no. come late. Uh, no, one ca- no one cares. Um, but you have, um, you do have Tyre, and basically Tyre, like, they're showing the Roman Emperor on the coin. Yeah, yeah, we're Roman colony, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then, when Roman power starts to decline, they're a bit like, we can be us again. Um, mm. You see their coinage change, so they start putting their own local myths on the coins. Not really Melkart at this stage, though. There's a lovely coin of Melkart riding like a, a hippocampi, which is lovely. Oh, cute. He's, he's, just, he's just chilling out there. It's yeah. like a little thing, riding his hippocampi. He looks Love lovely. that. He looks, he looks, he looks, um, he looks fire. He looks, he looks so radiant. It's beautiful. But, um, I mean, you never see Heracles in that kind of cool coinage. It's always Heracles no. just standing there at the club, like looking lazy. But this guy's running a freaking hippocampus. And he's on a bow Damn too. Right. Like, what's he going to oh shoot with a bow at sea? Like, yeah. What? I, I think if he shoots the water, the arrow will lose momentum. So I don't know what he's doing, but I mean, he's just living his life. He's yeah. going around his bow, firing into the water, hitting nothing. He doesn't care. Melkart don't care. He's happy. Um, anyway, I, I think it's okay. Um, but he, um, uh, so, uh, so you're right there. Basically, yeah. um, as they go over the Roman colonies, they become a bit more, they get their own autonomy back, basically. And it's reflected on the coin. They start to, like, they start to talk about the, the alphabet that they gave the Greeks again. You mm. know, like, we gave you this grammar. They they show Europa on the coins quite frequently because it's kind of, this is a local myth we have, which is regional and established power and connects us to Crete. You know, there's a lot of stuff to do with it. Um, mm. So you basically see over time, their, their mythological themes take over the coinage, their local ones, as their own identity starts to emerge, as they get to express themselves again. Yeah. And um, it's this beautiful progression of basically mythological identity over time, from being like subservient Roman emperors to Tyre in all its glory, because eventually it's just proper, beautiful, local, folly Tyrian coins coming out of it. That are just, That's you know, so cool. all their images, Europa and, and the Greek text and their names, just just them being them, really, eventually. Yeah. And it's it's lovely. It's really cool to see. Oh. I have this whole book on the Phoenicians that I've been meaning to read forever. Um, so I really don't know that much about them, but I'm curious about that. Cause it's, it's like, I don't, yeah, I, I wish I knew more about Europa and whether she did kind of exist in the Phoenician mythology, like mm-hmm. before Greece or even like simultaneously with when she was, you know, coming about in that, like those mm-hmm. most ancient kind of Greek myths. But it feels to me that it's almost like using her at that time period is also like, there's, there's still some of that Greek influence coming in. There's like, you know, it's kind of like a melding of sort of, I mean, when you're talking about something that's like 2000 years, you know, everything's going to kind of meld together in really interesting yeah, ways. And yeah. like, yeah, specifically utilizing Europa feels like that in a really satisfying way. It's also, she's on the Euro sometimes. And it's like, that's a nice she? little callback. Yeah. On certain this. Greek Euros. Because oh they're goodness. like, everyone cool. gets their own. She's. I know Greek has like a few different Euros, um, but Europa's definitely on one of them, like riding the bull. That's cool. Oh, that's mm-hmm. really cool. Oh man, I learned something new today. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be searching these coins. Go. Yeah, yeah. Collecting them. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to start collecting euros, but it turns out I start. I will. 
that's like the only euro I have collected is the one with Europa. And also it's like the most appropriate euro of all of them. Like it's oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Literally it, where the word comes from. I love it. Yeah, it makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, God, yeah, you just remind you just remind me, yeah, man, she created like Europe. Oof. Yeah. That's She's badass. Fun. I mean, that's an achievement, isn't it? Like, imagine thinking, like, you come home, you're like, what did you do today? Oh, I am filling some documents. I created Europe. Yeah. Oh, just, okay. I just named a continent. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. Can you imagine, like, an imposter syndrome? Like, oh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, named, I named this island. I named a continent. Um, oh, no, it's well, not a big deal, though. You're like, oh, man, your self-esteem just like, plummets. I mean, that just makes me think, like... <laughs> do you reckon all the they... other um, Greek goddesses were annoyed with her? Like, that's why, that's why they hate <laughs> yeah. her so much. They just felt so shit. They're just like, bitch. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Bitch. You know, I just think about now, like Cadmus and Europa have at least one, maybe two other siblings. I'm trying to think of how many because I know Phoenix is one, and it's like okay, Phoenix gets he named Phoenicia. Cadmus gave the alphabet to Greece. Europa named Europe. But I have a feeling there's another one, and I just can't imagine being like I think that the... fourth sibling. <laughs> no, I, there is a fourth sibling, and you are right. Yeah. I can't remember the name because I. Because I like, like I, I, to be fair, I, I announced at the start of the podcast, I don't remember anything in my brain. I, I have a terrible no, memory, sadly. But, I'm um, looking it up in case it's extra funny and we miss it. See, that's 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 a good <laughs> idea. I really, I kind of hope he has done nothing now because it would just be I kind know, of exactly, because it's funnier. If he's like, oh yeah, here <laughs> we go, Kylix. C-I-L-I-X. Who's this guy? Sorry, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, sorry, dude. Well, it's not. I mean, even yeah. if he is good, it can't. It can't be as good as found in a country. Or no, exactly. Uh, Europa, Cadmus, Phoenix, and then that other guy. Oh, his name <laughs> means like it's some kind of combination of Doesn't like the disappointment. Words for porn Does his and his name translates <laughs> yeah, as disappointment. His name just means disappointment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, what a beautiful way of wrapping up, Phoenicia. Yeah. Um. This has been clearly so much fun. I feel like I never it's quite know so what much kind of, fun. like, <laughs> I'm very glad. I never quite know what the episode is going to turn out to. I'm like, this sounds really interesting. And like, it's always really interesting, but sometimes it turns into like, okay, also we're just going to laugh a hell of a lot about the ancient world. And I particularly love that. So thank you. <laughs> good. No, good. Good. I, I, I came on my mantra before coming on was don't be bored. Don't be bored. <laughs> Don't be bored. <laughs> it's never boring. I can talk about ancient Greece. So like I can always pull out fascinating stuff because everybody knows something interesting. But yeah. it it is extra helpful when it becomes a, a conversation that is both fascinating and ridiculous. Those are my favorites. <laughs> Absolutely, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this is the best. Can you? Do you have anywhere that you want my listeners to like follow you or learn more? Just kind of anything you want to share on that front. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, I'm gonna you're gonna have to cut this. I'm gonna have to actually think about this. Um, that's fine. Um, okay, what do I? So I'm so I'm so bad at social stuff. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's only I if you want really to have... also, but no, no, that's like I mean I probably should. That's what people keep telling. I probably should. So I will. I will. Um, okay, let me think. Do I actually <laughs> do I actually have anything? See, I'm so I'm so rubbish at social media that if they follow my social media profile, it's it's like one image. <laughs> I'm gonna say it anyway because you never know. Maybe it'll take off one day, and they'll need to. They'll need to know. Um, there you go. What is it? I think I'm at Jerome Ruddick on Twitter. It's it's really simple. I haven't got like a crazy cool name. I'm just at Jerome Ruddick. And otherwise, I don't Facebook. I don't really have anything on like that. You don't follow people yeah. there. And I guess they could check out if they want. They could check out my profile on the university. It's it's incredibly boring. But if they they wanted <laughs> to, it's got my email. So if they want to find me there, they could. It's probably good idea actually. Um, and you're at Newcastle, right? Yeah, I'm at Newcastle. Yeah. yeah. The main point is to, for this for your sound bite, 
They can follow me on, I think, I'm at Jerome Ruddick on Twitter, or Great. better yet, if they want to email me to talk about anything. First of all, I am always so happy to talk about everything. I, I really, I don't know if it came across this way in the podcast, but I'm such a friendly person. And I love talking about things. <laughs> yeah, and no, I, you sounded really mean during this whole, like, really I know, I, well, I was put on my bitch mode, you know what I mean? Like, I was just trying to be as bitchy as possible. Um, but, like, I, I do, I love talking to people. Um, I love helping out with things and answering questions. I really, really do. I know people don't believe that, but I do. So if you if you type, I think you type in Jerome Ruddick at Newcastle University on Google even, my name would literally find the little profile that my university made for me. Um, and you, and that's where I've got an email, which is easy. Uh, otherwise, my email is something like j.m.l.ruddick2 at newcastle.ac.uk. There you go. That's it, too much. See, that's yeah. a mouthful. Yeah, Google. No one wants Google's to say that. Better. Google, <laughs> yeah. please, people, Google. Um, so, yes, that's where you can find me. And, um, yeah, I am happy to be approached about literally anything. I love doing classics outreach, for example. So if you listen to any of this and thought, that's a fucking psycho that I wouldn't mind doing some <laughs> outreach with or anything, then, um, yeah, come on board. Great. Um, so, great. Um. <laughs> So yeah, um, that is it. That's that is my that's Amazing. my soundbite. There, there's Amazing. replay that again. Yes. Thank you so much for doing this. This has been so much fun. In fact, Ozzy, thank you, Ozzy, thank you so much for having me. This has been um, this has been really really fun. Like really <laughs> so really glad. fun. This has been good. I had a way of a time. So good. Ugh, nerds. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening again. Like, seriously, ridiculously fun episode, gods. Obviously, I love recording all of my conversations. I'm always learning so fucking much, and it's so interesting, and everyone is so nice, and it's seriously the coolest thing in the entire world that these people want to talk to me. But when I'm also laughing my ass off throughout, that's just a bonus. So huge thanks to Jerome for not only talking to me for this episode and sharing so much fascinating information, but also being hilarious and uh, also for waiting forever for the episode to come out. Thank you, Jerome. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things from running the YouTube to creating promotional images and video to editing and research. The podcast is hosted and monetized by iHeartMedia. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron where you'll get bonus episodes and more. Visit patreon.com slash mythsbaby or click the link in this episode's description. I am Liv, and gods, I love this shit. Thank you for coming along with me all the time. It's just super cool. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. 
Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity, and it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.